Welcome to the Writing Block Podcast, where we talk all things writing and indie publishing. In today's episode, we're talking about the process of co-authoring a novel. I'm Jackie Castle, and today I'm excited to be joined by New York Times bestselling author Brendan Reichs and bestselling author T.W. Piperbrook. How's everyone doing today? Doing fantastic. Thank you so much. Doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so glad you guys are both here. Um, can you take just a minute and tell our listeners um, a little bit about yourselves? Uh, sure, I'll go first, I guess, uh, since I already broke that open in the first question. Uh, my name is Brendan Reichs. Uh, I've been a kid-lit author in young adult and middle grade for the last decade. Uh, prior to that, I was an attorney. Uh, I am reformed and in recovery and plan to never go down that road ever again. But uh, I started off writing a series called Virals, which is a spinoff from the TV show Bones. Uh, I co-authored it with my good friend, Kathy Reichs, no relation, except for that is my mommy. Uh, and we wrote... <laughs> six of those together. uh, And they were a lot of fun. Uh, They're sort of uh, forensic supernatural mysteries set in Charleston, South Carolina, after which I had to put on my big boy pants and write some stuff on my own. So I wrote a series called Nemesis, which is for young adults. uh, And it's about 64 teens who become part of a global conspiracy uh, that affects all life on earth, uh, where they have this unique problem that uh, my main protagonist every two years on their birthday is murdered by the same person except for doesn't actually die uh they just sort of come back without a scratch on them so it's a bit of a odd concept that i sort of ran with and it's a bizarre series and there's three of those and then after that i've been co-authoring a series of middle grade books called the dark deep with uh the great ali condi some of you may know her from the ya classics matched trilogy uh the last voyage of pope light she also did a great middle grade called uh, summer lost and so those are the projects that I've been working on. I've uh, got a bunch of stuff I'm doing these days, and none of which I can really talk about, I've just now realized. <laughs> but uh, that's uh, what I've been doing for the last decade. Awesome. Well, thank you. How about you, Tyler? Yeah, so I've been a full-time author for about seven years. Primarily indie, but I'm hybrid technically. i got a, um, a contract with Podium Publishing for an audiobook. Uh, I do sci-fi, post-apoc, and horror. And I've got 28 books and novellas out now. Um, and actually, I'm at a pretty good point now because I have five complete series, so it's always a good place to be in. So I'm starting on some new stuff. And one of those is a co-authored series uh, with another indie author named Bobby Adair. It's a six-book series. Um, so I actually was uh, a business systems analyst for a Fortune 500 company for about five years and working 70-hour weeks and wishing I was doing something else and finally broke out. And I guess I- I'm recovering from that as well. So <laughs> happy to be doing what I'm doing now. But uh, yeah, I did have a bachelor's in English uh, in college, so I've always wanted to be a writer since I was like a little kid. I used to actually uh, submit stories to publishing houses when I was in like fourth grade. So I had a nice pile of uh, rejection letters from back then, <laughs> so, back in the uh, in the 80s to date myself, but back when I used to write on a typewriter and a, a Smith Corona word processor. But uh, yeah, so it's been a blast. Like I said, just been doing it for seven years and just keep writing every day and really enjoying it. Well, I wanted to have you both on today because I feel like co-authoring is uh, one of those things that a lot of authors consider but don't really maybe know the logistics of or what that relationship looks like. So I thought we could explore that a little bit today. So I guess just to get started, if you guys wanted to just kind of walk through your process, um, I know that some authors, when they co-write a book, they're each speaking in a different character's voice or they're passing the same 
chapters back and forth and both touching every page. So what does that look like for you? Uh, do you want to go first, Brendan? Yeah, sure. So, cause I've done it two different ways. And so I get this question a lot when I'm touring and um, doing festivals and things of that nature. And they always want to know, well, how do you write a book together? And there's really two ways to do it. Uh, you see a lot of young adult collaborations these days, and that's typically done in first person where the authors simply split the book in half and one will do one voice, one will do the other. They're usually two separate characters. And that's sort of how they make the donuts where they sort of own their own sandboxes and put the story together and plot it together and then write it kind of within their own boundaries. Ali and I didn't do it that way. Uh, when we did The Dark mm -hmm. Deep, we were writing a middle grade, which is much more suited to third person. So we realized pretty quickly we needed a strong, consistent narrator voice. Otherwise, it would sound choppy and disjointed. So we do have two protagonists and two different perspectives that the story is told from, a boy and a girl, uh, Nico and Opal. But we would write the first drafts of those, and then we would simply rewrite each other over and over again until we got everything the way we wanted to, and we actually could no longer tell really who had written once. She loves to tell a good anecdote where one time I was trying to be super pleasant, and I was like, Allie, you know, I just want to tell you, this joke you wrote here is really funny. Like, I've laughed at it every single time. And she's like, that's great, Brendan, but you should know that you wrote that joke. And I was like, <laughs> ah, well, it's good and i'm glad it's there so that is a much more difficult process um i don't suggest attempting it with anyone but the best of friends uh mm. it's it's really tough we happen to be best friends so we were able to work through it but there were times where even we were like you know you don't like it when somebody gets in your sandbox and so you really have to have a lot of trust and we both are under the mistaken impression uh, that the other one's a genius and the better writer is how we describe each other. She's actually the better writer, but she somehow believes I am. So mm -hmm. with that level of trust, you sort of allow people to just uh, do what they do. We didn't track changes. That was one of the things we realized was was jamming us up when you'd go back and see what you did and be like, well, but why did you change it? I liked it like that. You know, and if you just sort of put that behind you and just read what was there, we found that like, oh, yeah, this is good. So... Mm -hmm. That's how we did that. And you know, sorry to be long-winded, but I had a third project. My first series was uh, a co-author, again, with Kathy Reichs, who's uh, the author of the Temperance Brennan novels, which became the TV show Bones. And Virals is a spinoff series from that. So it was her IP, but the project fell to me. It was sort of my idea, my escape hatch, if you will, from being an attorney. And so I would write the actual drafts. I would write the whole book. And I had more of a co-author editor relationship on that project where my mother would then come through and edit. And she is not pleasant. Uh, she's a mean, nasty woman who leaves <laughs> terrible notes all over your manuscript. Uh, but it was quite an intense training. And so that's a different way where you have different passes where people did it. You know, So I've sort of come at it from a few different ways. Um, and they all have their own kind of ups and downs just depending on sort of what you're trying to put out there but so far i haven't had to throw anything in the fire or not speak to somebody ever again so i think i'm uh, doing okay there <laughs> how about you tyler is it similar or do you have some differences there yeah it's similar so we had a um our series is called the last survivors so it's almost like a game of thrones meets the walking dead type of thing so it's, it's pretty epic in scope uh it's primarily post-apocalyptic but it's got a little bit of a fantasy lean into it too um, so it's third person. We've got kind of a cast of characters. So um, we did kind of the first way that you uh, talked about, Brennan, where we we each wrote our own POVs, um, but then we went back and ruthlessly edited each other's work. Uh, and then we each have a final say on our own original chapters. And then, of course, we go through and mm. do proofreads and, you know, have editors look at it and all that stuff and a technical editor. But um, yeah, so we, we do the we do our own chapters, but 
we kind of joked around a little because uh, my co-author's name is Bobby Adair. He's another uh, indie author. And we both kind of, we both cut our teeth on zombie series. Um, <laughs> so for this one, we want to do something a little bit different. So we actually set a post-apocalyptic uh, event about three or 400 years after everything fell. So mankind had kind of gone medieval, uh, lost technology, and um, everyone was just kind of living in, you know, in, in, the, in the rubble, basically, of society today. So yeah, so we like I said, we had a big cast. So, but we we kind of made the the uh, the deal that we'd have our own say on our own chapters. So we'd edit them to death and then go through and do our passes from there. So yeah, it was definitely a, it was a learning process. I'll I'll tell you that from uh, you know I remember opening the first document of the first chapter that I, I wrote and just seeing a slew of red track changes because we did keep our track changes on because we were gonna you know go through and edit our own stuff after that and. You know, I was surprised, like, wow, <laughs> he, he didn't hold back and I didn't either. And that was kind of it was it was good in a way because it really we pushed each other to, to be as good as we could. And, uh, you know, I think we grew as writers over that and kind of put our egos aside. And we kind of made an agreement that we were trying to make the best product that we could. And that's kind of what we stuck to throughout the whole collaboration. Yeah, and I I totally sympathize. We started tracking our changes. We actually just stopped doing it. Like it was okay. <laughs> originally that was our plan, and I was the one who just could not stop looking back at what I had done, uh, and then questioning whether I truly like. And it was just going too slowly. And I just realized, you know, you just either trust or you don't. So you know, we started doing it that way, and I I found it to be much more efficient. One of the funny things you said is, you know, I've never had the uh, the energy or the entrepreneurial spirit or maybe even the ability to to, to be an independent author like I, I need all the crutches that traditional publishing have offered me because i uh i have no ability to, to handle anything beyond the writing itself but uh it is quite an experience when you hammer this thing out with your co-author and you go through all the battles uh and you know the the creation process is sped up because there's two of you working at it so there's the magic file you close it it doesn't have a chapter two you open it and it does so in that mm. sense the story is always moving forward and you can go faster but the editorial part of it takes forever because it's not yeah, just I you agree. You know, everything's yeah. got to be go through two people. So once we would go through all of that and get everything, then we'd send it to our editor and our editor would have comments and bless, bless our sweet editor, Cindy Lowe at Bloomsbury. But uh, we were just at that point, we were like, wait, no, I, I'm not thinking about this anymore. Okay. We already decided how this was going to go. And now you have this whole new set of opinions that we have to work with, but she's a fantastic editor. And we know always, always, always listen to your editor. So uh, that was just an interesting experience. We're like, oh, come on. We spent uh, two months on this. And now you want us to change it a third way? Jeez. Yeah. It's funny you say that because, you know, at the outset, we're thinking, oh, we're going to collaborate. So we'll do 50-50. So, you know, technically it's half the work, but it definitely is not. <laughs> so like, I think it was like a 70, you know, 70% from each of us to get it where we needed it. And then Kind of as we went through the six books, by the end, we'd streamlined a little bit more so that we were, you know, going a little more efficiently through it. But in the beginning, it was definitely more work than we anticipated. But, you know, I, I like to think the end product is better than either of us would have done on our own. So that's, I guess that's the trade off. Yeah, and that's the goal. You know, I mean, that's what you got to yeah. keep telling yourself because you're absolutely right. It's more work to co-author. Uh, anyone who thinks it's sort of an easy mm -hmm. way to write half a novel and get paid is is completely incorrect. It is more work all the way through the project, but you end up with a far superior project than you would have otherwise because uh, just is what you said. You got two minds working on it. Uh, and you end up with something better. We actually came up with something when I was working with Allie, uh, which was called the third solution, which is if we were both at loggerheads and just did not like either of the other, either the other person's submission, or we were couldn't agree and we both just liked ours better, we would toss both out. 
and we would say, all right, we have to write mm-hmm. something else. Uh, we never, ever compromised where somebody got their way. If we didn't come to an agreement, it hit the trash can and we wrote something completely different. And every single time that we did that, it was because both of us were noticing something just wasn't right and neither of our solutions were correct. And when we went back at it, we came out with something better than either of us had had. So that was a great way for us to sort of resolve disputes and make the product stronger all the way through. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I think one thing we did too, is we were always open to ideas. So, you know, sometimes we'd throw, we'd be brainstorming, we'd throw out some seemingly outlandish idea. And then I remember throwing one out. Um, we had a villain in, in the series and, uh, we were trying to make him, you know, pretty evil, three-dimensional, but also pretty evil. Um, he was like a general of an army. And I said, well, maybe he has uh, his enemy's tongues on a, on his mantle. And I, I just kind of threw it out there as just a, you know, a, a crazy idea. And uh, I think my co-author Bobby was thinking, oh, that's what, we're, you know, that's what we're going to try. So he tried it. And I remember he was saying he was pretty hesitant about it. And then it became kind of a, a crucial aspect of the plot that really helped flesh some stuff out, <laughs> literally. So <laughs> yeah, I guess you never know. We were, we were pretty, pretty open to ideas and and try new things. And sometimes these outlandish or crazy ideas just happen to be like key, key plot elements that we figure out later. Yeah, that's, that's really neat. And so it sounds like there's a lot of just kind of bouncing back and forth and brainstorming going on. Do you find that you and your co-authors have a method to help each other when one of you gets stuck? Uh, I, I, we did, we came up, we realized pretty quickly in the, in the process, uh, I live in Charlotte, North Carolina and Ali Condi lives in, uh, Utah. She lives in the greater Salt Lake city area. So we weren't going to be sitting together working on this and you can do a lot of freestyling, but in my opinion, we discovered the plot really isn't one of those things because it's hard to lead someone to water when they don't know where you're going and you're the one writing the next chapter. So what we decided on was we would we took a trip to New York every single year uh, before uh, the book and we would go sit in Bloomsbury's office. I actually, they're wonderful people. They actually bought us a whiteboard because I'm a frenetic whiteboarder. I require <laughs> them for everything that I write. And uh, they actually bought one and installed it in a conference room for us. And we would sit there for four straight days of lock-in with only only uh, takeout food delivered to us. And we would plot out the whole story. Uh, we would go start to finish. Now, I mean, that plot obviously changes as we get the better ideas as you go forward. But we just couldn't start until we had like, basically the full vision for that story done. And once we had done that work in person with our editor sitting in refereeing, which usually means calming me down and telling me to be quiet so Ali can talk, <laughs> uh, we would come up with a, a basically a 20-page outline which covered every chapter of our book. And then we'd go back and then, of course, savage that outline as we went along. But we felt like that was the only way we could be on the same page. It was the one thing we felt that we couldn't do where you just sort of let the other person go. We needed to know what the story was going to do so that we had a sort of a combined vision of where we were going with the book. So that was a good process. And it was fun. You got to go to New York uh, every fall and, uh, you know, hang out. So I, I enjoyed that that part of it as well. Yeah, it's, it's funny you say that. We actually, um, so Bobby and I, when we first started, this is our first official collaboration. I had done a couple little things. Um, but we hadn't done you know a full bore collaboration before this for either of us, and we were actually both pantsers with the plot. So, so we were used mm-hmm. to writing by the seat of our pants and making things up as we went along, and then of course you know a lot of editorial revisions afterwards. So we actually you know had a lot of a lot of back and forth emails and a lot of world building documents and Dropbox and stuff like that. But we started out pantsing uh, at the beginning of the series, um, and by the end of the series, we we had almost converted right over to plotting. Um, so we, we started one way and it ended up in another and, and I actually didn't meet him in person, um, until after we had written, I believe three of the six books together, uh, and he's in wow. Texas and I'm in Connecticut. So I flew out there and stayed for four days, 
Um, and it was it was a real fun trip, but very productive. We actually plotted out two books on sticky notes on his dining room table. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we, we yeah we were we totally converted. Um, we used an app uh, called Trello, which is kind of like a note card app on the computer, and you know did like the note cards. And like I said, we had kind of a cast of characters, so we would plot out like all the different plot threads for each uh, you know set of characters. And then for each book, we would kind of choose. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna follow this thread of you know these characters, and you'll follow the other. Um, and through the series, you know, a lot of the characters, not everyone survived, of course, but uh, we would switch it up if we got bored. I'd say, hey, I'll take Ella and you want to take Fitzgerald or whatever. And we'd switch it up and and it kind of helped keep things fresh since we had more characters to work with. But, yeah, we definitely uh, kind of revamped our process as we went. Like I said, we were pantsers, so we, we kind of, you know, wrote instinctually. Um, but uh, as we moved on, we, we found that um, we'd kind of pick one core plot for each book to make sure to really focus on that. And then we sprinkle and kind of progress each of the subplots forward through the book. But we'd have that nice resolution for like a major plot in each book. And then of course there was the overarching, like a big battle and, you know, all that stuff that resolved by the end of the series. So, but uh, yeah, it was definitely an experience, a learning experience in a lot of ways. So, I mean, I find that hilarious because so Ali is a is a I, I don't use pantser. I usually uh, I like gardeners and architects because I feel like it's less insulting to the pantsers. Uh, you know, they they like to throw things out there and see what grows. Where I need a set of plants, but uh, Ali was definitely a, a pantser, and we ran into that on our first collaboration a little bit, where she'd put an element in it. I'm like, hey, so what's going on with these uh, seeds here? She's like, oh, I just I don't know. I thought it would just be something. I was like, yeah, it's it's not in the outline. Like, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know what it is. Yeah, I was like, yeah, you know what it is? It's a thing that's not in the outline, Allie. And so I was, because I just didn't know how to do it. And I, be, she begrudgingly came to accept that we had to have a structured outline to make it work better. But it was interesting because it was sort of like dealing with me is a nightmare. I am as far on the spectrum to the plotting side as you're ever going to meet. I, I used Scrivener and I, I converted her to Scrivener for this project. She does not use it for her own work. But I and I use whiteboards where I, I divide a whiteboard into whatever number of chapters there are. And I, I put summaries of the chapters up, scene descriptions, like whether they're energetic markers, what type of scene they are. Uh, I also have made my own magnets where I bought them from a company that makes uh, magnetic business cards and I chop them up and I now use colors where I put subplots for each color and then I'll put a marker in each chapter what deals with the subplot and write like what it is on there so I can see by the end of it I can see my entire story visually uh, plots arcs uh, character development all of that on a whiteboard now this is insane like no one needs to do this. This is uh, something I've taught at a few seminars. I did it out at Storymakers in Utah last year, and I've taught it at a few different uh, workshops and uh, things like that. And I always tell people halfway through, I was like, you don't need to do this. Each step, I'm like, let me reiterate, you don't need to do all this, but this is just how I do a book. And so I kind of had to drag her there, and she's like, oh, at least meet me in the middle and don't make me learn all the, you know, get my own whiteboard, because that was one of my original things. I was like, you're going to need a whiteboard. Uh, so <laughs> she's like, I'm not buying a whiteboard. I was like, fine, I'll have the whiteboard at my place. But um, it was, you know, just one of those things where it's like, I don't know how two people can work together and let it, unless you want to take several years on the project. And we had a three book contract. So, you know, we're, we're publishing annually. Uh, so we didn't have mm -hmm. the time to sort of play as much as maybe would have been fun. But I don't want to make the process sound like it was a nightmare. Like we had a great time. It's just she had to sort of come to the dark side on my on my side of the spectrum to get this done. Because uh you can't really just sort of go off and, and write your own stuff unless you really want to spend a lot of time in revision. Right. So let, let me ask you guys this then. 
I know, uh, Brendan, you said that you and Allie were already very close friends, but is there anything else that either of you did to test your compatibility before you got started? Yeah, absolutely. So we actually, our friendship began on a very interesting uh, serendipitous conversation where we had worked at the same time and a lot of the same festivals uh, and, you know, knew each other pretty well uh, from the circuit, but not, we weren't what we would consider friends. We were friendly colleagues. Uh, And then at a festival one time and I sat down uh, at a, you know, we were both eating tacos at Y'all West. I remember it distinctly. And I said, out of nowhere, having not told another person in my life, I said, hey, Allie, have you ever thought about going back to school and getting an MFA? And she just stared at me and blinked. And I'm like, oh, no, she thinks I'm weird. You know, because a lot of people are like, why would you go get a degree for the job that you already have? Uh, I actually heard that several times. But I had never taken any formal training, any literature classes. I didn't have, I majored in history and I was a lawyer. So I was actually just doing everything on instinct. And I kind of wanted to, you know, go round it out by learning some of this stuff. And so I just sort of threw it out there because Allie's the kind of person that everyone likes and you just say things to her. And she was mm-hmm. quiet for a second and she's like, all right, I have something to tell you. I had mentioned this program in Vermont called VCFA, uh, so Vermont College of Fine Arts, and they have a master's in writing for children and young adults specifically. So I'd thrown that out there and she's like, Brendan, I applied to that program two weeks ago and was accepted and I haven't told anybody that for the same reasons you just said. And it was like a thunderbolt. So we did. We went. And for two years, we were colleagues at uh, Vermont and the low residency program where you go up for 10 days and then you come back and you do all the work in between. And uh, we graduated and then we just became very good friends during that. And we also saw a lot of each other's writing style. We were in a uh, workshop three times. I think they were doing us a solid, uh, the administration there. They put us in the same workshops a lot. Uh, so that was pretty cool. So we saw a lot of each other's writings and strengths. And we realized that our strengths were compatible to areas where the other one was maybe wouldn't consider that a strength. So Mm -hmm. her ability to do setting and character and theme and depth, basically what I consider the hard part of writing, what makes writers great versus good. She was, she's fantastic at that. Whereas I was very good at action, plot, moving things along, um, structure. And so we realized that we actually probably would be compatible if we could get over our stylistic differences and just use our strengths. And so that's what we did. So apologize for that being a long answer, but it is a really remarkable set of circumstances that ended us ended up with us writing a book together, a series together. Yeah, yeah. On my end, um, yeah, I think uh, Bobby and I had kind of met through uh, some indie projects. Um, we were actually in a box set together, a uh, multi-author box set that was on Amazon. So it was basically a bunch of indie authors got together and we each put a book, uh, like our first book in a series in this box set. Uh, so we were trading emails back and forth and uh, he was having some good success with audio. So uh, we started trading emails about audiobook promotion and you know advertising and things like that. So uh, we kind of had a friendship that was growing. And then I had an idea and I said, because um, we were both doing really well with our zombie series at that point. Uh, this is around the height of The Walking Dead too. So it was about 20, 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, which, which helped of course. <laughs> but, um, so I said, you know, I hit him up and I said, Hey, uh, you know, maybe I have an idea. Maybe we should do an anthology where, you know, we take some of the top Amazon, uh, bestselling zombie authors and we each do like a uh, unique story in our zombie universe and put it in this anthology. And then we kind of cross promote and cross pollinate readership. And hopefully, you know, other readers get hooked on our series. Um, and I think somewhere along the lines, you know, we're talking logistics and, uh, or maybe our wires just got crossed and he thought I was asking to do a, a full on collaboration. He's like, well, why don't we just do a, you know, do a collaboration? And I said, Hey, why not? Let's try it. <laughs> so, so we started, uh, you know, we were talking about, uh, different things and we started passing emails back and forth and things just, just really jived. They just went really well. And, uh, 
we just started spitballing ideas and we were just getting excited because, you know, we, we were kind of, we, we were many books deep in, in each of our individual series and we we're looking to do something a little bit different. So I think that kind of helped energize us and we were just, the ideas just kept flowing. And before we knew it, I think we were, we kind of had a, a tentative timeline that we were going to finish the current project that we were on in each of our series and then start on the collaboration. And before we knew it, we'd each written uh, independently and unbeknownst to the other, a chapter in this new thing. <laughs> so, so we started, uh, we passed it back and forth and uh, yeah, it just, it just, it just went from there. So it was kind of a, a dip your toe in the water. And before we knew it, we were just swimming. So <laughs> it was, uh, it was, it was definitely um, in some ways a lightning strike because, you know, like I said, we got along, you know, we were kind of in the same spot from a career standpoint, as far as uh, we were both top 100 uh, horror authors at that time. And we both had series that were about the same number of books deep. And, um, you know, we both kind of had the same ideas on some marketing things. And so everything just kind of clicked in that sense. Um, I think the things that were, were different as far as compatibility were just, um, well, like I said, just kind of editing each other's work and getting over that initial hurdle of opening that Word document and seeing all the, the, the sea of red changes <laughs> and kind of, uh, you know, and saying, wow, okay, I gotta, I gotta take a step back and, and look at what I thought was a, a pretty good chapter and realize maybe it needs some improvement. And, you know, when you kind of take a day away from it and step back, you say, wow, this really does read a lot better. So we almost kind of joked um, later on that we had, you know, established, um, I think Brendan, you mentioned this too, in one of your collaborations, like a third voice. So we called it Bobby Piperbrook was like this third voice <laughs> that be became the consistent voice of the series <laughs> because I would, I would Piperbrook his chapters and he would adare my chapters and then we would do our final say. So, and it was funny because the uh, when we released the first book, we each kind of had our respective uh, audiences, but we just put our last names on the cover. So we put Piperbrook Adair. So we had some people that were confused. We had a couple reviews that said, "Who is this guy, Piperbrook Adair?" They thought it was <laughs> so. They thought it was like uh, maybe Bobby's sister or something. <laughs> that was right. That's you know, because so we ended up revising that cover to put our full names on it, so people knew who the heck we were. But yeah, so, you know, again, it was tentative at first and then we just kind of jumped on in and it just happened to work out really well. That's great. So this question might be maybe a little bit more towards Tyler, but Brendan, you can jump in too, but this might kind of highlight some of the differences between uh, indie authorship and traditional publishing. You know, there's the writing relationship, but there's also you're entering into a business partnership with somebody. So what has that looked like for you? Yeah, we actually, uh, on my end, we did an LLC, um, which we still have to this day for the for the series. Um, so we kind of have, you know, full transparency with each other and we kind of work it that way for tax purposes. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that's the way that we structured it. And we kind of did that from the get-go. Um, so that hasn't really changed much. Yeah, that's how we structure it because obviously we are indie authors. So we, we kind of control all that, that aspect of it. Um, so we just, yeah, just kind of coordinate together with business decisions and stuff like that. Okay. And do you have someone that, you know, is maybe better at marketing or do you split up duties related to that in any specific way? Um, yeah, kind of. I guess we, we sort of play to our strengths. So, you know, we both do marketing because we each have our own series. So we, we basically mm -hmm. do a lot of off the cuff, just phone conversations. And, you know, he's probably, um, he's a little more of a numbers guy. So he's an IT guy. And I was on the business side when we worked for corporate companies. Um, so he does a lot more of the numbers stuff. Um, and I'll do some more, you know, sometimes I'll do copy for ads or, you know, so we kind of split up the duties or I'll book some promo sites or we'll discuss like the Amazon AMS ads before we run them and kind of mm. A and B test them and see which copies working best and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, we'll kind of divide up duties and it's not always 50, 50, but 
I don't know. We've never really had like a, a fight about, hey, you did a little more than I did, or I did, you know, <laughs> nothing like that. Even with the writing of the books, you know, if, if one guy, if it was a 70,000 word book and one guy wrote 40,000, you know, and the other guy wrote 30, we're not going to, you know, split hairs. <laughs> so. Right. Yeah, we had an interesting advantage in this in that, uh, well, for one thing, in traditional publishing, there's a lot less responsibility on the author, although I hesitate to ever say that because anyone who doesn't believe that you're responsible for marketing your own book is, is, is fooling themselves. And that's true as, as true in traditional publishing as anywhere else. But you don't handle the, the, the mechanics of it. The apparatus is out of your hands. And so when you go and sign with a uh, publisher, you know, they're going to handle the, the day-to-day of scheduling and advertising and things like that. And you're just doing supplemental work. So there's less of that to divide. But we had an advantage in that we actually did share an agent. Um, so uh, we both are represented nice. by... Yeah, it was a huge, huge uh, help that um, Jody Reamer at Writer's House represents us both. Uh, it's just kind of funny. We're always like, oh, we work with Jody. You know, it's like we're just right in line behind Stephanie Meyer and John Green, you know, but the, she calls us right next to <laughs> sure, right? But um, she's a wonderful agent. I mean, absolutely fantastic. And she was able to, I mean, from the beginning, there was never any doubt. Everything was split 50-50. Like we weren't, we weren't possibly considering any of the arrangement, you know, ownership of of uh, all the rights and things like everything down the middle split 50 50. And we just simply had all the contracts written for both our LLCs uh, as, you know, independents. And so that part of it was easy because we did have one voice advising us, one voice speaking for us and pitching for us. And so to have that in all of the package of someone like Jody Reamer made everything a lot easier. I'm not sure how smooth or how easy it would have been if we'd had separate agents working together. Now, I mean, agents can obviously work together and there's many good collaborations where the people do not share an agent. But I think for us, that was pretty crucial for us putting, um, putting ourselves forward as one, uh, one package. And, you know, Jody's good at her job. Like she managed to get us a, a few offers and managed to sort of guide us to the one that we thought would be most productive for the series. So um, on that aspect, you know, I think that was, uh, that was extremely helpful for us. I think any author, no matter what route you take, ends up having to do about 90% of the marketing these days. Yeah, and that's the sort of the thing that, you know, when you're in a decade and you, you run into a lot of the uh, the younger authors, I've been, I organized two kidlit festivals. And so I've been on the board for Y'all Fest and Y'all West uh, since their inceptions. And those are, so I, I'm, I run into quite a lot of authors. I actually put together a lot of the lists, you know, with, of course, many, many people, Um of who's you know going to be at that year's festival, and so we get to know a lot of people, and we get to have a lot of fun with that. But one of the things that, that's the first thing that piece of advice, if asked, I, I never provide unsolicited advice, but if asked, <laughs> I always tell them like you are the captain of your own career, and uh, if you think that once you've signed with a publishing house, suddenly all you have to do is sit back and wait for them to sell all your books, you are going to be sorely, sorely disappointed uh, with what happens that you, you really have to be on, on top of that kind of stuff. And uh, there's just some people that are, are born for that. And there's other people that can begrudgingly pull themselves together enough to do a passable effort at that. And I'm in the second group. So uh, that's why I sort of stay in my hole and, you know, let people take money out of my pocket because they're better at this than me. And I know that I'm not, <laughs> I'm not particularly <laughs> adroit in these particular markets. Some of the things, uh, Tyler, you were just saying we're, we're, we're eye-opening to me and just that their specificity, which is always what I say, is like learn from the best. They know exactly what they're talking about. Whereas, you know, <laughs> I would just be like, uh, I bought a Facebook ad. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. 
Yeah, I think that sells you short a little bit because you t- you do a lot of live events. I mean, that's how we met first is that you're open to doing events all over the spectrum. And that that's a form of marketing. Yeah, I do. Sure. I, I do quite a bit of live events. I've enjoyed that. I, I enjoy moderating a lot. And so I've been able to do that at you know multiple festivals. I, I do stuff for my books and you know travel. And I usually do about 30 events a year between festivals or conferences or whatnot around the country where I, where I travel and go in person, although not lately, quite obviously. <laughs> right. But um you know, I managed to sort of get in with uh, some people that, that do Comic-Con. And so I've been able to moderate some panels there. And that's just a lot of fun. You know, I've had a chance to, to, to do some cool things in the TV and film realm with that. And, you know, I just like being out there, uh, writing such a solitary existence that I really, really enjoy getting out and actually seeing real readers, especially in Kidlet, seeing actual kids that read your books and love them. It's very refreshing because it, be it can be a draining business without that sort of recharge. For sure. Did you have anything to add to that, Tyler? Yeah, I mean, I guess uh, just as far as getting out there, like you're saying, I've been doing some some indie author conferences and stuff like that. And I hadn't really done a lot of that. Like you're saying, you know, writing is a very solitary thing, which is kind of why the collaboration thing is has been really cool, because, you know, I, I have a collaborator on the series, but we've also become great friends. And so we it's to the point now we pass our, our manuscripts back and forth, like our, our solo projects to each other to read and give feedback and stuff like that. So it's pretty nice. cool to have that extra, you know, and then, and as far as the marketing stuff too, we talk about a lot of that and, you know, keep up on the podcasts and what's happening and, you know, which ads are working and just kind of compare notes on that kind of stuff. So, but yeah, I hadn't really been out of my, my Heidi hole. Uh, the first, the first few years that I was a full-time writer, I was just had head down on the keyboard, doing my thing, doing the marketing and all that. Um, and then a couple of years ago, well, then I started the collaboration course, but then a couple of years ago, I met a couple of guys and uh, ended up doing some indie conferences, which was, which was great. It was just, you know, like you're saying, just seeing people face to face. And uh, I just participated in um, what was supposed to be a live event in Nashville this last weekend, but ended up being a virtual summit as a career author summit. Um, so I was on a panel for that and kind of hanging out with some friends virtually at least. And uh, yeah, it, it was cool. It's a lot of fun. So you know, I had a couple more lined up for this year that probably won't go through, at least in the form that they were supposed to. But but yeah, it's good just to get out there and just, uh, you know, because there's only so many times you can talk about writing to your non-writing friends and family before their eyes glaze right. over. <laughs> so, and they're just uh, sick of hearing it. And I, I really think developing those systems are crucial. Uh, like I have a, my beta reader group is from people that I know and met and read their stuff and um, worked with uh, a couple people in town uh, in Charlotte here. Carrie Ryan is a great writer. She actually wrote a zombie series herself, uh, The Forest of Hands and Teeth. And uh, Renee Adier, who's written uh, a few things. Uh, her latest is The Beautiful, which was a, a, a sat on the, the Times list for a while. And, you know, I've, I, I read I like them. They're friends of mine and I love their their work. And so now I have people I can give stuff to early and say, hey, am I, am I onto something? Is this terrible? You know, am I getting there? You know, Renee's great in certain ways. She's like, awesome. Brendan needs more kissing. And I'm like, I got it. I got it. Right. Right. And Carrie's like, how many people did you kill? You can kill more. And I was like, okay, see, these are, these are my people. They, they help me, uh, they help me get where I need to be. And, you know, in Kidlit, it's just such a fun community of authors that it's really a joy to go out and just hang out. Like we genuinely enjoy each other's company at these festivals. And so we spend a lot of time, you know, a lot of times the festival is just an excuse to get a bunch of us in the same city so we can go have dinners. Uh, so, mm-hmm. you know, and happy hours. So it's one of my favorite things about the job is getting out of my chair, going to Houston or Seattle or Portland or wherever the festival is that week and running into 20 or 30, you know, middle grade and young adult authors that I've met before across the circuit. You know, we take a little pride in the Yellfest uh, drawing room that we essentially were the first ever 
massive kid lit only festivals were YA middle grade. And now there's probably a circuit of about 30 uh, all across the country. And sort of the y'all sort of started that mode of getting out and specializing in specifically what you write. Uh, we were tired of being banished to the annex gym at the Tucson festival or, uh, you know, <laughs> wherever you put the kid lit guys uh, and girls that are, are, you know, off to the side. Uh, we were like, let's make our own place. And uh, it's been just incredibly targeted and successful. Uh, and it's just a whole different environment now, which is a lot of fun. And you say that just a few minutes after you said you weren't good at marketing. <laughs> uh, you know, create your own festival. <laughs> well, it was funny. I tell you what, the, the emphasis the emphasis behind that was uh, another collaborative pair. So it fits right in with our theme here. But co-authors Margie Stoll and Cami Garcia, along with Melissa De La Cruz, were the original core of the idea. They wrote uh, Cami and Margie wrote the Beautiful Creatures series, which was a feature film and. Well, Melissa De La Cruz has done more stuff. You can look her up, but she's got a resume a mile long. Um, and so they sort of said, hey, why are we not doing this? And then I jumped in very early. Uh, and yeah, it was a good way to meet everybody. It's kind of nice. <laughs> everybody, yeah. You get to meet all of the uh, people because, you know, one way or another, they come through one of our festivals. And so that's been a, right. a good way to network and, you know, just bounce ideas off brilliant people. Yeah, it's cool meeting people that I've like, you know, for me, I've known people for years through, you know, through emails or whatever and or seen them on podcasts and then to meet them in person is just really a cool thing. I, I had some people that, uh, you know, I met in person. They said, oh, Piper Brook, holy cow, I've seen you on, you know, on the list or on our also bots together on Amazon or whatever. So it's cool to see your face, you know, so they'll recognize your profile picture on Amazon or whatever. And so, yeah, it's just really cool to, to you know, interact in person with people. So I'm curious, have you been able to transition to some virtual events? I did Library Journal's Day of Dialogue today, and it was, you know, I got ready. I, I actually brushed my hair and put pants on because you know, that's so rare these days. I was very concerned about whether there was a filming component for this because I was like, oh, you did not get, <laughs> you did not get ready for that. If so. Right. Right. But then I like sit down and it's all like a chat room with librarians. I'm like, I did not have to do any of that. But it's just it's so funny learning the new ropes of what it means to be quarantined and still get your name out there. Oh, yeah. We, we threw Y'all West this year in May completely virtually. Uh, we had uh, 95,000 discrete viewers uh, tune in for our panels that we had all on basically on Zoom for for two for three days. Uh, and it was quite an experience. We did a variety show on Zoom. We did uh, all of our keynotes on Zoom. We had all these panels. And, you know, I mean, it was better than not doing it. I'm, I, if you yeah. ask me, you know, it's, it's good. It was good quarantine entertainment for people that were desperate for it. Um, right. So in that sense, I like it. But I, nothing beats really being in person and being around, you know, the people. It's, Zoom is a, is, a, is a bizarre where you're speaking into the void. And yet you look down and I'm looking at the counter and 30,000 people are streaming it. And you're just like, right. this is one of the biggest events I've ever done. And I'm fully unaware of that fact. <laughs> so Right. Like, it's a weird feeling. Yeah. Like I said, we just did that career author summit last weekend on Zoom. So, you know, same kind of vibe. It's, it's, I guess the best we can do given the circumstances. So it's cool to see, you know, faces of people I know and talk and, and speak on there. But uh, yeah, hopefully at yeah. some point we'll, we'll get back in person again, <laughs> you know, and resume. Cause I was supposed to go to New Orleans for a small uh, writer's gathering for Halloween, actually, uh, called Vampires in New Orleans. So it was going to be a small get together uh, with some writers to do a little workshop thing there. And, so we'll have to postpone that. I think it was postponed for a year. So hopefully that'll come through in 2021. But yeah, we have y'all y'all fest is scheduled. Y'all fest 10, our 10 year anniversary is scheduled for November, but I got to be honest. I don't really see any, 
I'm not sure if it's just going to be feasible. We're hopeful. We haven't pulled the plug yet. Um, yeah. But, you know, the way things are these days, it's just like to to rely on anything. And, you know, we, we get a lot of publisher support. And so we have to rely on them as well. And, you know, we're going to have to decide as a group whether it makes sense to just push it. We did, you know, yeah. Y'all West virtually. So that's always on the table. We could do a Y'all Fest uh, virtual event as well. Um so we'll just have to see. It's, uh, you know, it's just, I, I really like the live events. I like to travel and get out there. So, um, you know, it's disappointing, but uh, we'll just, you know, you got to do what you got to do. Well, here's a good transition then. How do you handle some of your live events, Brendan? Do you and Allie ever do them together? Almost always. Yeah. It's in our contract. It's sort of, we're basically a hive mind. So, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a plus and a minus. I always tell the publishers like, well, you're paying for two. Uh, and, you know, that's a fact. But you also get two people at every event. And so, you know, I was like, we canvas a conference, you know, between us each doing three to four panels. You know, we, we put the book out there. We don't always do them together. And we do a lot of school visits. And that's really where we've been able to get a lot of traction is um, it's a good visit when you can come in with both a male and a female voice into a classroom somewhere between mm-hmm. the grades of fourth and eighth grade. They just really respond to that kind of energy uh we we love that we can sell our books is not a boy book or a girl book um because it's both mm-hmm. that's what librarians love to bring back to us like we hate the term boy book or girl book to begin with there's that's a that's a bastardization of reading but uh unfortunately you run into that a lot even in some certain schools and so it's nice that you can take that off the table and be like hey this is just a book so that's been fun yeah so you know we we basically do all of our publicity in person we all do it together. Now we've actually had separate book tours. We both have been, you know, continued publishing while we were collaborating. And so I put out two young adults while we were doing this series as well. And so that's kind of a, a bonus talk, you know, we can get out there and, you know, it depends, uh, oftentimes, you know, it depends on who sent you where. You got to keep that in mind. You know, if your YA publisher paid the bill, that's what you're there to talk about. And you can mention right. your other stuff. But if the if the middle grade guys paid for it, well, I'm I'm on the middle grade panels there. So it's sort of, um, mm-hmm. you always got to remember, you know, <laughs> don't don't send a best account and have them say like, oh, hey, I saw you, uh, you did a YA panel. Is that, uh, is that what was that about? <laughs> I was like, not <laughs> that you did one, but that you only did one. I'm like, yeah, they, they mixed me up. But uh, don't worry. I talked about our book the whole time. Yeah, I think on my end, uh, you know, I don't do a lot of in-person, you know, events and stuff like that other than the writers conferences. But, you know, we're primarily Kindle eBooks. So um, I think the cost of travel and all that for us, it's really, you know, putting that into promotion and marketing online and through Amazon is kind of seems to be give the best results for us. Um, so, we, you know, we've done some podcasts and things like that, but but really just putting our efforts into like big promotional pushes and stuff like that through the, you know, different uh, advertising spend or through different uh, promo sites and stuff like that uh, seems to, to yield the best results for us. When you, when you mm-hmm. figure in the cost of travel and all that stuff, it sounds like for you, you, know, you have the, the YA market. So in, that in person sounds like a really good thing. Uh, but for us, most of our readers, they're on Amazon. So if we're advertising on Amazon and figuring that out, then we're hitting them directly, right? Electronically just from our houses. So, it, so that part kind of works out and, and we save on the overhead a little bit. Well, we could talk all day about the value of travel versus, you know, a lot of times I, I, I'll be presented with a, with a, with a proposal uh, that, that is heavy on travel, but then I'm like, you know, it can be awfully light on actual promotion. And so we have to find that balance. Like uh, I, you know, I'm uncertain whether or not 
the travel is as cost effective as just putting a, you know, pushing some stuff online and putting actual ads. You know, we did some print ads in Entertainment Weekly, which was pretty cool because I got to be on the Game of Thrones editions with all the different covers with my, <laughs> with my book in the book insert. So that was pretty cool. But I'm like, I, that may have been more valuable than six events I did prior to that in person. So it's always that balancing act of like, where are you putting the money? Where's the publisher putting the money so that you're not you know, getting caught up in the shiny stuff that may not actually, you know, end of the day, you want to sell books, you know, you want to move product, you want to get, you want to get them in people's hands. And so I always try and keep that focus where there's some glamour stuff I've managed to make them send me to just because I really wanted to go like some Comic-Con panels, you know, things like (laughs) that, like book con, you know, there's things you just want to do that you're like, please pay for this, please pay for this. But you have to balance that out where sometimes they're just like, it's a no, you know, we get told no, I get told no. I'd be like, I want to go do this thing here. And I got invited and I know they're like, it's not going to, you're out of your books out of season right now. And uh, you know, that doesn't happen if you can sort of target it online. So there's, you know, it's, it's unclear to me, what the best marketing is. And I think that's one of the things about the book industry, you know, the traditional book industry is, you know, nobody really knows how to sell books, which is the craziest thing about it. You know, it's a billion dollar industry that doesn't have market research. So like, it is one of those, like, are we putting the dollars where they need to be? But, uh, you know, there is something to also be said, like, being in, in front of somebody, FaceTiming with the librarian, they'll stock your book for the next 10 years uh, yeah. just because you met them and they know you. Um, mm-hmm. So middle grade and young adult are completely different markets. Uh, I'll stop rambling. I've been talking for too long, but like middle grade is about the gatekeepers because you can't direct market a middle grader. So it's about getting to teachers, librarians, bookshop owners, children's, children's section curators. You want to get there. Uh, and young adult, you know, they have their own money. They drive themselves to your events. So they actually bookstore events are important. A bookstore event for a middle grader is kind of a, I don't know, unless you're huge, it might be a waste of time. But for young adult, you know, they come to see you, they can, they buy their own books. And so they're just, they're just completely different markets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I guess, you know, on my end, we, you know, obviously we're spending our own budgetary dollars here. So, so we, we're quick to turn off an ad if it doesn't seem like it's working. And, you know, with that said, you know, there's certain X factors, um, like on uh, Amazon for AMS ads, you know, we have a lot of our books in Kindle Unlimited right now. So uh, some of the reporting on the dashboard for AMS doesn't really tell you who's borrowing the book and doing, you know, giving you the page reads. So you kind of see the sales right. element, but you're missing that, that can, you know, that's kind of a, more of an instinctual or, or a gut thing. Um, so, but yeah, we'll do the AB and testing and stuff like that and, and try different copy. And, but yeah, we're, you know, we're quick to try to turn something off if it's not working, but we try to give it enough time to see if it does work. And, you know, again, some things are gut instinct. You, you'll see your sales numbers and they don't necessarily uh, jive with what you're seeing on the Amazon uh, reporting dashboard. And you're saying, well, it looks like we're making some good sales, even though they're saying that our, our, our percentage here isn't as good as we think it is. <laughs> so, so stuff like that. So yeah, we watch our, our budget pretty, pretty carefully on that end, but. Yeah. I kind of fall in the middle where my book's out with a mid-size indie publisher. So not self-published, but not traditionally published. You'd be astonished, I think, if you realize like how little the information vacuum that most traditionally published authors are working in. It's hard for us to even get our sales numbers. Like it's actually something that we don't really have access to that some people actually feel uncomfortable asking for. Like, hey, can you tell me how many books I've sold? You know, because it's so the way the system is set up is really like 
you know, it's not a shaming thing, but they're like, don't worry about that. Make the books. We'll worry about it. But you're like, but I have no, I have no feedback. I have no market research. I don't know. Right. You know, I mean, in my first series, I was probably four books in before I had any idea how any of them had sold because all I could look at was what they were paying me. And that was, I'm assuming by their payments that I was doing okay. But uh, it's just remarkable, like how little we actually know about what's going on with our own books because we don't handle that end and it's just not information that's particularly forthcoming unless you drill for it so that's one of the things you learn like you gotta ask and prod and say hey i'd love to see these and i know i get royalty statements every six months but can i get a a look at those things more frequently and just let me know you know i put an ad out i don't know what happens nothing right what you just said tyler is amazing to me you know you can test uh, two ads and see which one's working better we put out a print ad in entertainment weekly i don't know if it sold a book no, we don't have any. Re- we don't have any kind of feedback on that kind of stuff at all. So it's sometimes you feel like you're just throwing darts in the in the dark. But you know everybody's doing the best you can. And publishers are filled with great people that are very good at their jobs. Uh, it's just you know the difference between sort of being quick and nimble and, and working in a machine. You know, it is publishing is what it is. Yeah, that is one of the fun parts, you know, but, you know, it's a lot of work at the same time. So I guess that's the, the counterpoint <laughs> is, you know, doing all your own marketing like we're doing. You know, we don't really have that somebody to rely on in that sense. But then I guess, you know, we are able to pivot pretty quickly and, and see what's working and make sure that we're, we're profitable. <laughs> so um, and, and, you know, you can make sure, you know, watch our budgets and see what we're what we're taking in versus what we're paying out. Um, so as long as those numbers uh, look good, then we're in good shape. <laughs> so. Yeah, I don't have any insight into any of that either. Yeah, as far as sales numbers and stuff, you mean? Or um, I see my sales numbers daily for paperback, and I only see my ebook numbers quarterly. But I can't log into an Amazon dashboard and see it in real time like that. And so that that would be really nice because then I don't know if I should try, you know, a newsletter or another promote. I have no idea if it works um, because usually that's all Kindle. So I would know four months later. Our main problem is that. Amazon numbers don't really capture enough of the market. Um, there's some that don't report right. for traditionally published books to Amazon. Amazon's going to get you about 60%, uh, but it doesn't include where they sell your books uh, in batches or in subscriptions or into schools or things like that, where that, that really never appears until you see your royalty statement. So, you know, Amazon can be depressing. If you look, if you look right. at it, they're looking at point of sales and major retailers, but there's a lot of other places that your book gets sold uh, that it, that doesn't get picked up on Amazon. So you kind of have to factor that in in your head, but it'd be nice if you could just see it. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's try to bring it back around to co-authoring. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> let's dive in, I guess, to the hard part. And just if you guys could take a few minutes and talk about some of the challenges that, that have come along with uh, writing a novel with someone else. Yeah, sure. Uh, I guess I go first if you want. Uh, yeah, so like I said, uh, you know, the major challenge I touched on a little bit was just uh, handing your writing over to somebody else and letting them ruthlessly edit that, and then getting that back and not crying over your keyboard. <laughs> so, and you know, and just being humble about it, and just putting your ego aside. And and uh, like I said, uh, Bobby and I agreed early on that we want the product was king, so we wanted to have the best series and the best book that we could tell. So you know, we had to put our egos aside and, and look for what was best for the story, really. So. You know, I would look at some of his, his uh, track changes and say, you know, is my phrasing here better, than, you know, than, than what he suggested? Or am I just holding on to a, a bad habit that I had or what? And you know, so that was one of the challenges. And, you know, I, I think once we got over that initial hurdle of just letting someone else kind of butcher your work, uh, I think we came out better at the other end of it. And then I guess uh, another challenge that we had was, like I said, we both kind of came from uh, 
uh, core readership of, of zombie uh, readers, and we wanted to do something a little bit different. So instead of kind of catering exactly to the audience that we already had, we did, you know, like a post-apocalyptic kind of Game of Thronesy sort of thing that took place 300, three or 400 years after the fall of society. Um, and we had, you know, a lot of political elements to it and a lot of battles and stuff like that. So when we first put out the uh, book one in the series, we're thinking, oh, you know, the power of our combined readerships will make for even bigger sales numbers. And we put it out and, and you know, it did very well out the gate. But some of the readers at the beginning were like, hey, what is this? This doesn't sound like your zombie stuff. This is different. And I don't know if I like this. <laughs> so, we're like, so we took a chance because we wanted to branch out a little and do something creatively different. Um, but we didn't necessarily cater exactly to you know what our readers were used to. Um, so we had we had some reviews out the gate that were a little discouraging. I remember we were there was a hot second where we were thinking of pulling the series and just saying, forget it. <laughs> so we're, we're like, man, this right. isn't working out. I don't know. It, you know, we sold well out the gate, but, you know, some of the feedback has been a little bit lukewarm. Um, but for some reason, we just kind of said, you know, I think this story has has promised. So let's let's just continue. Uh, and we, we we put out a second book and then a third. And we, we got a promotion through the site called BookBub, which is a, probably the biggest promotion site you can get on. And we got a feature from them. And it just kind of took off from there. And we really we really found an audience because we were marketing to the people that we knew. And BookBub actually accepted us for an action and adventure category instead of science fiction or whatever we applied for. So we started kind of just our, our, our advertising. And before we knew it, we were kind of swinging fantasy a little bit with the advertising. We were seeing better results. So I, I guess my uh, long-winded point is that we kind of we kind of pivoted a little bit and we saw, we said all right we basically have captured some of our current audience but we need to market to some new people as well and we sort of found like a different readership for the series that we neither of us had before uh, we were able to really really push that up and I don't know the exact numbers we have but I think we sold about a quarter million uh, copies of the of Last Survivors as of now so it's done wow it's done pretty well yeah we've uh, yeah that's great we've done about thirty five thousand audiobooks. So it's done, it's done very well for us. But again, it was, you know, we almost gave it up in the beginning. So, cause we were discouraged. We, we, we didn't know whether it was worth pursuing at first. And so we're, we're glad that we did. And yeah, so I guess those were a couple of the, the challenges and, and, you know, nearly pulling it there. So. Yeah. So the biggest challenge was co-authoring a novel for me. And it's a lot of what Tyler was saying. It's, it's really about being able to accept, um, constructive criticism from someone that you might not necessarily consider a quote-unquote authority figure you know as a traditionally published author i'm used to criticism because i have an editor on every book and that's their job so i you know i get feedback all the time that tells me to change stuff or this isn't funny or i don't like it but to have sort of a friend that you're working with cut a joke and then explain to you that it's because it's not very funny is rough (laughs) so you kind of the trust factor has to be high we stopped. We made a couple rules just to avoid. Like we did, we did. We stopped texting about this story. We don't text. If there's anything that we're arguing about, we do it on the phone or FaceTime because you're just more friendly with people when you're speaking with them. And you know, every text I would look down at my phone sometimes. I'd be like, "Whoa, Allie's mad." Uh, and she'd be like, "Oh," I'm like, "Yes, you were." Read that text. And she's like, "I swear it wasn't supposed to be snarky." I'm like, oh, "Okay." But you know, when you're talking to somebody, you remember why you like them so much uh, and why you want to do the project in the first place. So that was one of our rules: like no texting. You know, uh, the other was you know finding third solutions, and we basically just sort of tried to make our disagreements as constructive as possible i still remember in the first book i used to be like she's like what 
you didn't like she cut a couple jokes from his chapter i really like and she's like it's just running on too long so i saved all your your better ones and these are just for brevity and so that's when i started just like lying on the ground on my face whenever we'd have any <laughs> conversations like that would be my posture she's like are you on the ground again i'm like yes She's like, you can't get on the ground. Get up and go sit back. She's like, I don't want to. I'm lying on my face. You hated what I wrote. So, you know, it's just that facility with each other and being able to take editorial. I, I call it editing from the side. Uh, it takes a lot. I think a lot of authors that are friends cannot and would not do well co-authoring. And I, I, I know, frankly, of many attempted co-authors between successful authors individually that actually crashed and burned and never saw the light of day because they were like yeah it turns out we can't write a book together we can only be friends together uh so i think yeah. you really have to have like just a really good relationship with the other person and a lot of trust and if you do that you can get through it if not you know it's not for everybody and i don't think there's anything wrong with that you know some people don't work well sharing a creative space and there's zero wrong with that yeah i definitely developed thicker skin over the course of the series <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, I guess, you know, from from a, you know, we've talked about the the benefits a little bit, but uh, you know, I've always kind of felt like no one cares about your work as much as you do in in a certain sense. And I don't know if that's entirely true, but you know, you you tend to care about your own project probably the most of anybody, I feel like. And so collaborating, you have two people that care about that that product. So you have two people giving it their all, which kind of gives you that better product, I think overall. And it was just cool like when we get stuck in a rut um, you know, uh, over a plot point or you know, as we're working our way through some outline and something wasn't working, we'd get on the phone and just having those brainstorming sessions was just really awesome. Like just, we'd come up with all these solutions. How about this? How about this? You know, well, that's not going to work. How about this? Oh yeah, that's it. That, that's what's going to do it. Yeah. So it was just really cool. It was just something about having that other person to bounce things off of that cares about the work as much as you do was just really, really cool. Yeah, it sort of bounces off that old Neil, Neil Gaiman quote where he says, you know, if someone reads your book or your work and tells you that something's wrong, they're almost certainly right. But if they tell you how to fix it, they're almost certainly wrong. And yeah. it's because <laughs> they've identified a problem with your work, but only you really know the work well enough to know how to, how to solve it. And usually when people try and give you solutions, you can just be like, well, no, that won't work because blank. And it ended up just being frustrating. So, you know, when we, when we teach um, feedback and, you know, from... Uh, you know, workshopping and stuff. That's the first thing I say, don't provide solutions, ask questions. You know, I don't know what you were, what, what did you want to do here? You know, what was, what were your intent? Because I'm not getting that from here, but I'm not going to try and tell you how to fix it. But it's just like Tyler said, when, when you have a co-author, they're in the work just as much as you are. So they can provide solutions, which is amazing. You know, they'll you up one day and be like, what if we did this? And you're like, that's it. You just, you literally figured it out because you're as invested in living in this work for six months just as much as I am. So, like, uh, that's just an amazing feeling when someone hands you the answer because that just doesn't happen even with editors. It, it, you know, it rarely happens. So it's a, it's a remarkable thing. Yeah, the, the coolest thing, too, is when uh, when the answer was already in the work. We've had that happen before. Where we're, you know, again, cause we, because we're both so close to it, we'll see the answer somewhere in some little detail or some offhanded sentence somewhere in the rest of the book and we'll say, oh my God, remember this character did this? Well, this is totally why. This is the answer. This is what we need. So almost, I think Stephen King said something about that once because he always has uh, in on writing, he talks about the, you know, uncovering the fossil. Um, yeah. You know, and how the writing is uncovering the fossil and sometimes the pieces are there. You just have to dust them off and find them. And we've had that happen a couple of times where the answer just comes to you, you know, or even, uh, you know, I've had, I've had a, uh, a couple epiphanies where I say, Oh my God, that character has to die, <laughs> which is uh, where people around me think I'm crazy if they're over here. And if I'm talking to myself, but Oh my God, that's what has to happen. You know, it's, it's horrible and it's sad, but that's what has to happen, you know? So. 
And that's how we would we would comfort each other a lot with just that exact what you were saying. We'd just be like, don't worry, it's in there. We're like, it's in there. I mean, we don't have the answer right now, but it, it's in there. We'll find it. Yeah, yeah. It's in there. Don't worry. And most of the time it was. We're like, there it is right there. There's our out for this plot hole we've dug ourselves in. It, it was in there. We just had to had to find it. It's almost like you leave yourself clues. You don't even know it. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Do you, either of you have any parting words of advice for indie writers who might be considering co-authoring a novel? You know, I, I would just say what I've said a few times, which is just, uh, you know, make sure you want to do it for the right reasons. You know, some people think that co-authoring means like, oh, if we take two plus two, that equals five money wise. Uh, and it can be true, uh, but it also cannot be. And a lot of people think like, well, it's just be easier if we can get a book out faster because there's two of us working on it. And that's absolutely not true. It's the exact opposite. In fact, you're going to do a little bit more work or at least the same amount of work that you're used to. Um, it's just, you're going to do that work with somebody else. And so, and another thing is like, you know, pick someone who you honestly believe your work and your styles could mesh together because it could be a situation where it just doesn't. So I think it's a fraught process. I don't know that it's for everybody and I don't know that everybody's built to sort of, uh, work under those, uh, constructs. And I don't know, friends, even me, I, I, I know for a fact that I, I don't think I could work with the majority of people and co-authors. I've, I've picked the right people so far and gotten lucky. So, you know, I just would caution people like go into a project because you both share a vision for it and it's something you really want to do. And more than that, you want to do it together because you think you're both bringing something to the table. If you've got that feeling and that drive, you'll fly through it and you'll have a blast. It's more fun working with somebody than working by yourself. If you don't have that initial spark, you're just going to be end up dragging teeth into the point where you may just throw in the towel. Yeah. I'd say, you know, kind of echoing that a little bit. Yeah. I'd say, give it a try, you know, and, and, and also kind of realize at the same time that a lot of collaborations won't work out and don't beat yourself up if it doesn't, you know, I have uh, a couple buddies that are, uh, I don't know, they do a lot of collaborations and, and they'll tell you that nine out of 10 of them won't, won't fly. They won't go all the way because, you know, something ends up, I don't know. It just doesn't happen the right way. So, so yeah, don't beat yourself up. But, you know, as far as the indie space, um, if things grow organically from a friendship or something, that's probably the best way or somebody that you're, uh, is your peer or something, or somebody that's kind of on the same track as you, maybe sort of in an equal area, you know, as where you are, as far as number of books written or the same genre or stuff like that, you know, not to say you can't branch out and try different genres, but yeah, I think if you each bring something to the table, like you're saying, then it'll work out and it'll be a blast. I think also in uh, early collaborations, if you're thinking about well, try to avoid any major power imbalances going into the work, because that can actually translate it into making a poor work. If one side doesn't feel equally empowered in the project as the other, then you end up just having sort of a relationship where one person is basically controlling a work when the other is working as some sort of a quasi sub editor or, you know, work for hire author. And so you want to make sure right. that everyone going into the project feels equally powerful within the project. Cause if you don't, it's not a true collaboration. Yeah, very true. Well said. Well, thank you guys so much. Um, I think this is going to be a really valuable episode. Yeah. Thanks so much. I had a great time. This is wonderful. Let's take just a minute. And why don't you tell everyone where they can find you and how they can keep up with what you're doing? Sure. Yeah, I'm at uh, www.twpiperbrook.com uh, or on Amazon. Um, just search my name. You'll find me. <laughs> <laughs> kind of the same. One of the one of the benefits of having a totally unique name is that uh, all I take is Google. So I'm at brendanreichs.com. Uh, it's my website. Uh, if you want to find my books, I'm published by Bloomsbury, United States. And uh, most of my young adult is with uh, Penguin, Putnam & Sons. Uh, so I'm 
any bookstore. You can usually either it's on the shelf already. If it's not, you can definitely order it. Um, Amazon obviously has everything online. I encourage everyone to please support your local indie bookstores. Uh, if you can, buy your books through them. Also support your Barnes & Nobles. Barnes & Noble is an important bulwark against uh, the, the dominating, crushing downward pressure on our industry so if you want to buy books don't feel bad if you want to go to a barnes and noble and buy them uh, but brick and mortar bookstores need our help so i'd appreciate it and i encourage people if possible to make their orders through their services thanks for listening to the writing block podcast we hope you enjoyed this episode and will subscribe to hear our future episodes we want to thank the writing block community for the continued support you can find us on twitter or facebook or at writingblock.com no k Remember to subscribe, share, and tell your friends. Thanks, everyone, and happy writing.